0: Good morning church. Let's uh, hear the word of the Lord this morning that we're going to study through from Revelation. There we go. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to look at all 14 verses this morning. As we consider the topic of our mission as the church. It says, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures. And among the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and looked and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and a gold bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, but plus thousands of thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and on the seas and everything in them say blessing and honor, glory and power be to the one who's seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God, indeed. Church, it is good to be in here this morning. I'm very much looking forward to getting back in the Gospel of John next week. And I'm really excited about that. Let me just uh, take a little bit of uh, time this morning to... Uh, to encourage two things, to promote two things. I know Jordan did a great job on our announcements this morning, but I just want to make sure that you know about a couple things that are your resources for you. One, down in the cafe on our bookshelves, we have this book called Gentle and Lowly, about 150 copies of these that were generously donated by Crossway to lots of churches across the the nation. And uh, I've read this book. It is fantastic. It's basically like a modern Puritan read about the person and work of Jesus for his people and how near and close he is. It's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Friends, um, probably one of the best books that's going to be written in this decade, and you've got a free copy of it if you want to take one. So as you finish up this morning, I hope you've mosey on down the hallway, pick up your copy if you haven't already done one, and and if you already have a copy, perhaps put put your free copy in someone's hands and encourage them to read it, okay? Um, That's one. And then um, Pushing the Leadership Lab that's coming up November 6th, and that's going to be an opportunity for us. We just really feel like as God continues to grow our church, we want to be better equipped and better equip our church to, to handle soul care in our church. We've got a number of opportunities and needs in our church. One particularly is we've got some counseling needs in our church. And we're trying to help people get that those counseling needs. And we've got several families in our church that, are, that we feel like we want to walk alongside, but we want to walk alongside them with some professional counseling. But that's expensive. And so if you're interested in helping offset set those costs, please do so. But you can go online and there's a um, there's a you click down and find the appropriate place to give for that on, on our online giving. Or you can just put in there, hey, want to help with counseling, put an envelope, put it in the box and out here in the hallway. That would be great. Um, but if you're going to be a part of the whole getting trained to help with soul care, these are two books that we are going to put in your hands. It'll be a little bit of a cost, but actually we're going to subsidize some of this cost for you. But this one instruments in the Redeemer's hands absolutely a read for anyone who is a church member who wants to love the church well this will be your primary read this will be more of a support read has a different caseload we want men and we want women to get trained in this we need men and women to get trained in this i would love to see us we got a handful of people already signed up for it um, but i'm telling you right now this is not just for the elders This is not just for our deacons. This is for the congregation. So if you are a member of this church and you want to get equipped in this way, you need to get signed up for this. We can sign up online, or you can just let me know you plan on coming, and I'll make sure you get put online. But one way or the other, we want to get people trained. So if you're interested in that, November 6th, what you'll do is you'll you'll sign up. I'll get you the book. You'll read the book, the the instruments in the Redeemer's hands before then. And then you'll come to a a Saturday morning, three-hour training time. Okay? So please, please consider that. All right, well, there's my um, plea this morning, my shameless plug for different things going on in our church. Let's get to the text this morning. We're going to be talking about Revelation chapter 5, and and I really am excited about getting into this text this morning because here's the thing. In this series we've been doing on the doctrine of the church called Ordinary Church, um, what we've been doing has been taking apart, if you will, the church and then putting it back together. When I was a child, I loved this. I loved taking things apart, seeing how it worked, and see if I could figure out how to put it back together. I was successful about 25% of the time. But, um, but I love this, and this is really the way I do theology in a lot of ways. We take our theology and we go, okay, what does the Bible teach us? And then we, wanna, we don't want to just assume, hey, there's a church, and we do the church, right? And you just do the church because that's what you've always done. But let's, we've kind of been trying to take our theology and 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 take the church down bring it you know take it apart if you will and rebuild it and not that we're rebuilding anything but to show us how it all fits together and so these last three weeks especially um, two weeks ago and then counting today we've been putting it all back together about worship and about the communion of the saints inside the body of christ we talked about last week and today we talk about the mission of the church um this final installment is really influenced by a particular phrase that you maybe are, are familiar with. Like, there's been tons of books, tons of conferences. Uh, and there are no shortage of people who've had thoughts on the mission of the church. And some of them are good, some of them are not so good. But one I feel like has been very helpful for, for me and, 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 the, and the tribe that I tend to run in is John Piper's often well-worn quote, uh, Missions Exists. Because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. It's part of his grand scheme that he's been building on and writing on for decades. Um, but missions exist because worship does not. It, it, it's really the premise we've been building on since we've been for the last two or three weeks, has it not? That, that the premise is that the doctrine of the church is built on this idea that worship is the foundation of everything in the church. And that you can't do mission well, you can't even do church life well, if you don't have worship in its proper place. And we think of worship, we think of church as something we do, and that's why we get into squabbles about style and all those kind of things, when, when reality is we don't realize that worship is something we are. We all worship something. It doesn't matter if we worship being the right thing, the right person, the right God. And that's why it's so vitally important. Worship is the foundation of everything in the church. It's the most important thing we've said before already, and I'll say it again. It's the most important thing that we can do on any given week with the local body of believers. Certainly there are, I think, my, minor times where we might be excluded from that, if, if, depending on different circumstances, or it should not be. But it shouldn't be a, a major you know, absence. The people should not neglect this that the most important thing we can do on any given week will be to worship with the local body of believers. We said last week that, that the most enriching thing then, we, the work we can do each week then, would be rooted in the communion of the saints. How we relate to one another and how we do this. And it's, it's more than just coming to Sunday school. It's more than this, but it's even what I'm talking about right here, getting trained to, to, to better walk with one another in soul care. But the most neglected aspect of the church, as much as we talk about it, as many books as have been written about it, the most neglected aspect of the church or misunderstood aspect of the church has to be our mission. now I think it's because we've disconnected it from worship. But I also think it's because we make it, we make it a program. And so I've been chewing on a couple of thoughts as I've been reading over the last few weeks from books that have been very helpful for me over the years. One is from a pastor in the Chicago area named Joe Thorne. He says, Too often the church is thought of as an isolated entity the frozen chosen that functions more like a holy huddle than a city on a hill whose light shines before the world in a way that unbelievers are won over by our words and works of grace the church has never intended to be a retreat for the redeemed but a missionary movement that works boldly in the world to which it has been sent that's in his little book called life of the church so true right but we, that's what we do. When we disconnect worship from mission, we end up making the, 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 the goal of the church is just kind of huddling in, protecting this. I'll talk more about that here in a minute. But that's just what it is. J.R. Packer, I think, in his wonderful book on evangelism and the sovereignty of God, just reminds us that the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness bearing. That's exactly what Joe Thorne's trying to say. Let me say that again the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful christian living and and witness bearing it all comes to a head when we go and we consider john 20 verse 21 and jesus tells his disciples that he has sent the church he has sent his disciples into the world just as he was sent into the world from the father in other words there is no such thing as a missionless church it shouldn't be at least we should always be mindful of that mission that, that God has called us to. So, so what we're going to do is, and when we're turned back to that, that thought we've been hammering home the last couple weeks, it is this. The true worship creates a community that displays the gospel to the world. True worship creates a community that displays the gospel to the world. We're going to really focus in on those last six words or so. Displays the The gospel to the world and we conclude this series thinking about now we've kind of rebuilt the whole structure to see what mission now how it operates in the church we're just going to look at romans i mean i'm sorry look at revelation 5 and then we're gonna do what we did last week we're gonna look at some pathways that we have we can uh, do in the church and we can look at some potholes we tend to stumble through so it's very similar to the structure of last week's sermon except the text is different Let's just talk about, for a moment, the theological vision that the Bible puts on the mission of the church. And so, if you were listening closely to the text I read here a few minutes ago, you really got Rome, uh, Revelation 5 in two parts. You got the first of first, uh, seven verses. Really, it's just kind of this, this, this event in the throne room of God, and they're, they're trying to figure out how to get the scroll open. Now, let's just think about what's going on in this throne room. If you go back to chapter 4... And read on your own, you'd find that you have this one sitting on the throne, i.e. God, and, and his appearance is like Jasper or, or, Car, or, or Cornelian. And the throne was surrounded by 24 elders and four living creatures. Now, who, who, who are these guys? Or who are these people? Well, just to put it shortly, it is the 24 elders are that living witness that has faithfully pointed to the redeeming promises of God throughout the ages. And so the 24 is significant because it really represents the 12 tribes of Judah, the 12 tribes of Israel, right, that living witness of the Old Testament, and the 12 apostles, which are considered the living witness of the New Testament age. And so we have this 24 elders who are giving witness to and watching what's going on in the throne of God and are giving worship to this one God, true God, right? And these four creatures then, if we want to properly understand who they are, well, they're they're the hosts of heaven. It's very much Isaiah chapter 6 where we see this angel, and my am will going to go into details, and they have multiple eyes and wings and so on and so forth, and it's very similar to that. And, and so almost everyone believes that this is a, the cherubim and the seraphim that, has there, that is always there with the host of heaven, right? It's with God. These four living creatures represent God, and his, I guess they, they go out into the earth and do His will and, they, and, and function in that capacity. But when we get back to Revelation chapter 5, we're told again that this scroll it becomes it's a centerpiece of this entire chapter. And what is this scroll, um, and why is it that only no one can open it? Well, G.B. Caird comments this way. He says the scroll is God's redemptive plan foreshadowed in the Old Testament by which he means to assert his sovereignty over the sinful world and so to achieve the purposes of creation. Or as Richard Phillips, a great pastor out of Greenville, South Carolina, says it, in in other words, the best understanding of the scroll in Revelation 5 is that it contains the entirety of God's will for his history, both the judging of the wicked and the redeeming of his people. And so that's what the scroll represents. It's the entirety of everything God's doing and has been doing since the beginning and it's closed and only one person is able to open it that's why the angel declares see the scroll who can open it he makes this grand invitation to everyone who can open it can you open it can you open it and of course john's sitting here going looking around the room going as he's seeing this vision unfold before him he's like there's no one in this room who can open this and that's incredibly depressing it's what the text says right here right It says he wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. But there was one, isn't it? There is one who can open that scroll. The Son of God. The one who has been sent from heaven in that plan of redemption, that covenant of redemption between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He can come, and He is the Lion of Judah, the, the Root of David, who has conquered sin and death. He is the one who is the slaughtered lamb who ascends to the throne, and He o- picks a scroll and He opens it. In other words, He is the only one. He is the only one who can bring about the full plan of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, we'll find out later on in Revelation if we wish to greet on. He is the beginning and the end. Listen, this is undoubtedly one of the most magnificent pictures in all of Scripture. And we could spend days just plucking out so many wonderful things from it. But what I want us to take notice of is what happens in the back half of the text. The back half of what's happening here. It's the response of the 24 elders. It's the response of these four living creatures. It's the response of the thousand upon thousand upon thousand. What is What does that mean for us? Well, that's what we find out here in verses 8 through 14, right? That they, this great throng broke out in song. Says, they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, verse 9, and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe, every language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and you made them priests to God and they will reign on the earth. And later on, as we talk about the thousands singing, it's not just these 24 elders anymore. It's the thousands upon thousands. It says worthy in verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They broke out in song. So if you really want to get the whole picture and why we connect mission to worship is that mission is worship. To live on mission is to worship God. It is not always just being in this room singing a song, but it is singing a song with our life. It's everything that we are called to do. That's exactly what we see happening, that our mission is the song of Jesus and his accomplishments in redeeming a people for himself. That is our mission. That is everything about what we are. Don't be fooled by all the different talk about what the church should be or what the church should do. This is it. Go with John. Go with the vision he saw there in the throne room. That will define everything you are and everything we are as a church. And so if this song is our mission, how do we sing this song with our lives? Well, I think it's right there in the text. You can almost break down verses 9 and 10 down into stanzas in some way. First, you have the song of the slaughtered lamb. You, it says in verse 9, are the slaughtered lamb. The, the, you purchase people for God by your blood. Part of the song we sing in our mission is that we are always ready to give witness to the Christ of our, who substitutionally sacrificed himself for our sins. We are the people purchased by his blood alone. We want people to know Jesus and his work on their behalf. There's no substitute to this. This is what we're called to do. This is the message that we give witness to. There's another aspect to the song. The song of a new, multinational, multilingual, multi-tribal people. With all of the talk and banter about race today, Let us not forget that we are a multilingual, multinational, multi-tribal people. Anyone who would say that we minimize that is wrong. They're wrong. This people in Revelation 5 are people drawn from every corner of the earth. We were talking this morning about the people made in the image of God and Ben did a fantastic job walking us through that. But my mind was going to right here this morning. Remember, God appointed this people to go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the nations, fill the earth. Of course, they rebelled against that. But then he judges the earth in the flood. And what happens after the flood? God tells them, do it again. He tells the sons of Noah, go do this. This is exactly what I've told you to do. Go fill the earth. But rather than going to fill the earth, what do they do? They go build a city. They go build a tower. And what's the tower for? It's to show God how impressive we are, show us how, how worthy we are. Again, the tower is supposed to go into the heavens, right? And God sees all this going down. And what does God do? He dismantles the tower. He dismantles their language. And he does so in the effort to say, you are going to the nations whether you like it or not. You are going to spread out through the world whether you like it or not. Now, you may be doing so in rebellion right now, but this is exactly what you're going to do. The gospel is the good news that God is gathering his people back again. From every corner, every nation, every tribe, of every language, he's bringing us back again. And he's bringing them into his kingdom. See, our work, friends, always and forever will be a cross-cultural work. And that must be the priority of our witness. Now, of course, this does not mean, especially in the modern discourse, that there's not room for people to be patriotic about the nations in which we come from. In fact, there's something very good and very wonderful about that. Because there are nations that are good nations, and there are nations that are not so good nations. And it's okay for us to do that. Because we know that there's values that we as believers bring to the table, and we want to see those values preserved. So, yes. But when we allow anything to distract us from this cost cultural work that we are called to as a priority of our witness... We, we, we lose something about the gospel. We lose something about the song we're singing. Amen? That's what we are. Our work is cross-cultural. I love the fact that we have people, we have relationships building. We're, again, some of these things are still in, in work. We're trusting the Lord to do things. COVID's definitely not made it very easy. But we got Eastern European connections one new one that we're going to present to you will be preaching for us is, is related to uh, Delon and Manda, their nephew um, and, and niece. who uh, they are, they're, they're moving to Romania, and they're going to be starting that work next year. And I'm looking forward to having them come and share about that mission and how we as a church can get behind them. We have folks who've served in Turkey. We've got, we got all kinds of wonderful things. We've got people with significant ministry in North Africa and in the Middle East. Friends, let's keep it going. Let's keep pressing deeper into this. Let's keep finding ways the Lord wants to use us in that work. We don't have to be the answer to the whole world, but we do have to have the whole world in our vision. Right? So we sing a song of the scattered Lamb. We sing a song of the multinational, multilingual, multi-tribal people. We sing a song of a people who make the invisible kingdom of God visible. We said it earlier in J.I. Packer's quote. Remember, we've said several times from Mark Dever, the church is the gospel made visible. If the church makes the gospel visible, what that means is that the gospel that God is doing through his son Jesus is to make the gospel visible through a very specific people. So that's part of our job. Make the kingdom visible. What is invisible to unbelievers is very much visible to us. At least it should be. And we are called to that work. We live in a world that lives in deep fear. Fear that our bodies are going to fail. Fear that our nations are going to fail. Fear that our finances are going to fail. Fear that our relationships are going to fail. And what do we do, and what does a nation do when this fear takes over? They circle the wagons. They protect everything at all costs. And they try to wield more control over the human project, do they not? Is that not what we're seeing today? Let's be careful that in our efforts to do good things, all right, good things, that we forget that our ethic is an invisible kingdom ethic. It's the ethic that Jesus told his disciples, don't fear those who kill the body, fear God who sends to hell. That's the ultimate judgment that you and I will face. Whatever happens to our bodies is the ultimate judgment. His kingdom will last forever, and it's our job to make sure we make that visible. And friends, I just feel like right now in our world today, we just got to remember that. Now listen, I want to make sure I'm clear about something. We have varying opinions about the various things heading up in our culture right now. And, and, and you know I've spoken this multiple times, more times than I even want to speak to this. But can I just say something very specifically? Number one, if you tend to lean towards the side that, hey, if you you don't love people, if you don't get the shot and you don't get the mask on, please just abandon that idea because there's no such notion of that scripture. At the same time, let's also abandon the notion that people who would choose to wear a mask for varying reasons or choose to get the vaccination that somehow know they're living in fear. That notion is equally as wicked. Equally wicked. In the church, both those sides are seeking to divide people on things that the cross has united them in. We're losing our mission if we allow those things to divide us. 100%. So we sing a song of a people who are making the invisible kingdom visible. We also sing a song of a priestly people, it says here. look at it, it says you are a people, you are a a priest to God. And and what do priests do? They're mediating, right? They mediated that sacrifice in the Old Testament. And in some sense, God says you're a kingdom of priests to me. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate priest who was a sacrifice who went to the cross for for our sins. But we still are yet still priests and we're mediating the coming of the redeemed into the kingdom of god so everything we're doing in the world every relationship you're building out there is building what an opportunity to usher the redeemed into the into the kingdom of god friends let's keep this as our aim we are a priestly people Joe Thorne's quote was true. We are to work to win people with the word and works of grace. Mediating the good news of the gospel to the world. We sing a song lastly here in this text of a reigning people, it says there in verse 10. Reigning people who live between two opposed kingdoms. God is indeed, by the way, ruling both, in case you were wondering. But we live between two opposed kingdoms until Jesus returns. But we will triumph one day when Jesus does return. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Our present lot is one that appears to be weak in the world. And there's just, no one likes to feel weak. The world tells us you're nothing unless you're strong. But the church has been given a ministry of weakness. We don't depend on worldly powers and influence. We don't depend on politics. We don't depend on uh, cultural influences to carry out our mission. No, we reign now. Trust me, friends. We're reigning right now if we continue to preach the gospel and make disciples. Even if it's just one at a time. Jesus started out with just a handful, boom. It blew up into a worldwide movement. We are a people who are reigning now as we preach and teach the good news. When the church uses the, mean, uses the world's means to establish our impressiveness to the world, we are actually distancing ourselves from, the world, from our mission, are we not? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God uses the what? The foolish to shame the wise. That God uses the weak to shame the strong. Don't be afraid of your weakness. Don't be afraid of our apparent smallness in this room. There's beauty here. Let me just be honest with you. Listening to you guys answer Sunday school lessons, I'm like, I'm like you make me, you, 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 you intimidate me. The thoughtfulness of responses, and I'm sure Ben felt the same way this morning. I'm sure Josh does too. Like, there's some thoughtful responses. You're thinking about what you believe and how it applies, and that's wonderful. There's power in this room, even if it's wrapped in apparent weakness. Keep on going, friends. That's our mission. Our relationships in the world will be tenuous or awkward at best, and for some very difficult, and painful at worst. Our suffering has a Savior that will return one day. Don't be afraid of that. And we can stand on that promise. Listen, if you followed the events that is unfolding in Afghanistan and as heart-wrenching as that is, can I just encourage you not to avoid the political finger-pointing That's just one upsmanship. But actually step away from that and allow God's and see God's simple sovereign will for those particular people right now. Who will stand as a wonderful testament of people who will trust Christ in the midst of their own death and their own freedom. Maybe that's really what it's really all about. And it's less about our presidents. Decisions. God is bigger than that, right? Mm-hmm. Friends, we must be ready to do the same now. We, we have challenges. I do, as a father, wonder about the compounded challenges my kids will face in the future. I, I would be lying if I didn't. Um, and I think there's worthy things we must fight for, because they're biblical things to fight for. But even if we fight that fight and we lose. least temporarily there's power in our weakness there's power in our weakness so this is the song of life that shapes our mission as a church this is the mission this is everything so what are some pathways then that's our second idea i want to walk through pathways to faithful word and witness now let me be honest with you I'm borrowing a little bit of the outline from Joe Thorne's book on the life of the church, and it's in his chapter on this, or at least kind of broadly speaking. And he he identifies four ways that, or pathways, if you will. He didn't use that term. That's my term. And I'm just going to use those, and I'm going to fill them in with my own thoughts for a minute. This is very practical, hopefully. He first talks about the participation aspect of our mission. In other words, participate in the culture around you as appropriate however you can and the main goal in that aspect is what be visible because if we're visible guess what else is visible the kingdom of god's visible be present be involved where appropriate now that can look individually we can consider that corporately let's consider it individually for a minute. that means just think about your station of life how has God called you in your station of life? Maybe you're young, unmarried, single, or maybe you're newlyweds and, and you have just expendable time. You don't have kids and, and that's okay. And, you, and I know you're maybe looking forward to that day, but don't take, advan- take advantage of the right now. Volunteer in the local organizations in the area. Be visible there. Go volunteer and coach a youth league somewhere. Right? Go get involved in the local school. Trust me, they need help. Maybe there's local government things. Maybe you're in that stage like I am with young or median adults with children or teenagers. I'm kind of in between. I've got elementary, I've got middle school, and I've got high school now. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. It uh, drives you crazy sometimes. <laughs> but, man, look, I, that's a different world that I live in, but, man, it's, it's, it's a great place to be. I can't tell you how many wonderful gospel opportunities I've had and conversations I've had with people through our kids and soccer and schools and it's whatever. Embrace your station of life. Empty nesters, same thing. Or, 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 or whatever you may be. Maybe you're in retirement mode. Like, Be like John Piper. I love his thing. He's like, he didn't have retirement in his, in his DNA. Go spend it. Spend it serving the church. Spend it serving missions. Spend it serving family. Spend it serving your neighborhood. Be visible. Trust the Lord. Just whatever the Lord may call you to do. We also consider not just our station of life, but our vocation. What does your work mean to the world? Do it, and do it well. How about the seasonal things that happen in our communities? We have festivals and things. We used to do a lot of that here um, early on in our church, things I hope we might get back to. Invest locally. When I say invest locally, like get to know your barista, get to know your... Your local grocery store cash, cashier, get to know your manager at that store, get to know restaurant people. Like, like, be so familiar when they walk in, like, they know your order. Like, Blue Coast knows my family's order. Chipotle does too, but for a whole lot of other reasons differently because we, we've had some issues with them. But I'm um, neither here nor there, right? But uh, we just, like, but we were known for better or for worse. But make sure that when you are known, they know you for the right reasons. Not for your pet things. We all have them. I have tons of pet things. The referee yesterday in Chattanooga with my son's team knows some of my pet things now. uh, After that whole event. But um, he didn't know me for the right things. And that's sad. Friends, make sure that when we're doing these things, they're known for that. Don't just take up space in your world. Don't just be users of your world. Contribute to it. Be a good neighbor. Show up and open up. Be visible. Be dependable. Be reliable. Corporately, same thing, right? We want to be a church that has fun. Delon was bringing to our elders about an opportunity. Maybe we could do some kind of fall festival here at some point. Pull some inflatables out here and just do something that loves our neighborhood. No strings attached. So we're, we're going to consider that. I don't know. We'll let you know if it, things develop. Again, when we started as a church, we, we, uh, we tried to be more visible in the festivals and the things that were in our community because we, we wanted to be there. We wanted to show support of that where it was possible. Again, lots of ways, guys, we can, we can participate. How about the second word that, that Joe Thorne talks about in his book is restoration. My fundamentalist background my kjv only women only wear pants below the ankles or not pants you can't wear pants i'm sorry you weren't allowed to wear pants there's a whole video going on about this right now you weren't allowed to wear pants sorry um for some of you guys know you may maybe you know that i know this but women you are not supposed to know, so wear pants okay it's sin for you to wear pants i am joking but i've been told that but that, that was the world i grew up in and that world taught me to circle the wagons it taught me to retreat It taught me to protect. But as I read the Bible, I saw the Bible teaching me something very different. To spend it. Spend my life. Take risks. Getting to know people and befriending people who are wildly different than me. Spend it, friends. And the ways we can do that, of course, is in works of ministry, works of mercy we've been slow to get to this place, but we are hopeful that we'll have some ESL relationships with the Congolese Fellowship here soon. We got a few family, a few folks who are trying to work on that, but hopefully when things get settled down, we're going to get that going. Local food pantries and low-income needs in our area, weary housing that, that Lucas has, has has put together a few times. When these things come up and you hear us talk about them, man, let's all jump in. Serving senior adults. Again, another one that I'm Trying to put you on the spot, brother, but you've done a great job of this. And he found this couple, this couple who needed help. And we had a bunch of people go over there and do some work on the outside of their house because they can't do it on their own. They don't have family who can come do it for them. Works of mercy give us uh, permission in the world, Con- conversation. We got to get the conversation you got to get to the words, right? Words matter. Why do words matter? Because Jesus is the word made flesh and therefore he comes into the world and that means that he empowers our words to go preach the gospel. So there comes a point in all of our work and all of our efforts and all of our participation that the witness matters. That means that at some point we should pull the trigger on our conversations with unbelievers. Be careful with methods and scripts. We're always one a method and scripts it feels like. I've been trained in every method and scripted out there. And witness training can be helpful, but it also can be forced, and it can feel like a sales pitch. And, and that's the reason why we don't put a lot of emphasis on those things here. Either way, find ways to speak into the cultural language of your day. Get to know the people around you, even if it's a little uncomfortable, right? Find non-threatening ways to engage the spiritually unengaged. You don't always have to church it up. But get to the conversation. Last idea, we said there's participation, there's restoration, there's conversation, there's multiplication. Ultimately, guys, we got to plant churches. Ultimately, we need to fund missionaries. Ultimately, this is what we got to get to. We want to plant the gospel and plant churches. We want, to, we want to see this pattern that we see in the New Testament, particularly in Acts, of, of, this, of sending out missionaries like Paul, and, and they plant the gospel in particular areas and that, with hopes of new congregations forming as outposts for future disciple-making. We've got to get to that point at some point. And I'm praying that that will happen sooner than later. In fact, there's some conversations that, that, that may be developing, hopefully, in, in, the, in the near future. We'll see. Church planting is not just an urban or suburban thing, though, too. That's the kind of the hip and trendy thing, right? But we need to plant churches in, like, rural areas, rural towns. They need Jesus, too. I've been praying for some reason, more and more we get along here, I've just been praying that God would send us planters we can, and families we can plant either on the more rural southern side of Rutherford County, because it's growing like crazy, or maybe out towards Shelbyville, Tullahoma, Manchester, Smithville. By the way, I'll sign up for Smithville when the time's right. It's a lake out there, guys. I'm sorry. I grew up on a lake. The point is, is I want us to be ready to go when God tells us to go. Multiply. It's not about just this one little congregation. It's about planting more. So those are pathways. Lastly, let's just talk about some potholes and I'll be done. Because there are lots of potholes we've stumbled into, right? Let me give you a couple. And we'll finish up. Excessive polemics. Now, that's a big word, right? Polemics. What's polemics mean? Don't get nervous. Polemics are nothing more than verbal or written defenses of a viewpoint against someone else's viewpoint. So we got a lot of polemics going on in the world today. Now, sadly, though, polemics can become a very bad thing. It can be used oftentimes by contrarian people. And they strongly have written and verbal attacks on people of differing views. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of excessive polemics. It's all the rage today. And I just want to tell us as a church and tell you as a believer, please be warned about the the fruitfulness of this if you're engaged in this in some capacity. Be careful with this. There is a call by Apostle Peter in his letter to, to be ready to bear the truth in any time and any place. That is true, but that doesn't call us to beat and bludgeon people in the process. If it's just about being proven right, you've missed the point. We are called to, a, I believe, a winsome witness in the world. Many times it's not so much the truth that is offensive to people, but it's the truth tellers that are the most offensive part, and that's a shame. Don't be a truth teller that's offensive. Let the truth be offensive in your winsome love and undefiled love for someone who needs Christ. That is what we're called to do. So excessive polemics is a pothole. Second pothole that I think is confusing good works with good news. Good works are wonderful. We are called to good works. That's straight out of the Bible. It's Ephesians chapter 2. We see it in James. Our efforts to serve and make our communities better, whether that's serving the poor or fighting the basic human rights, are good. They are biblical And we should pursue these efforts where they honor Christ. But the only good that you and I truly offer, in spite of how good these things may be, is to keep the gospel clear and central. Get to the gospel. What has Christ accomplished for that person's life? Show them of their need for Jesus. Show them that Jesus will, will, will come to them and be near to them if they will repent and believe. Don't confuse good works with good news. Not keeping this in view or not keeping our mission in clear view uh, makes us susceptible to cultural shifts. Again, J.I. Packer, for the win, whatever cultural shifts take place around us, whatever sociopolitical concerns claim our attention, Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and reigning uh, remains the heart of the Christian message. Other things may change, but this does not. We'll get through this moment, friends, of Jesus Terry's. We'll get through the infighting. It's just one, 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 one moment in time. But until Jesus returns, we have one aim. Christ crucified, risen, and reigning. It's the center of everything we do. Third pothole, fear of speaking up. Fear of speaking up. Not being willing to speak truth where truth is called for. Uh, British philosopher Bertrand Russell, you've probably heard of him, he's considered one of the most leading atheistic thinkers of the 20th century. Russell asserts that history is the chance product of causeless series of events. He wrote that man's origin, his growth, his hopes, and his fears, his loves, and his beliefs are but the outcome of random collections of atoms. Realists must accept, he insists, that all the inspiration and all the noonday brightness of human genius are the destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Boy, this guy is really a positive dude, isn't he? And then he says, only within the scaffolding of these truths, that truth he just expressed, only on this firm foundation of unyielding despair, whoa, can soul's habitation be safely what? Really? Only on unyielding despair can my soul's habitation be safely built. Mm. No, friends, the, 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 the habitation for the soul is built on the proclamation of the gospel. There is truly no safe world that can be built off of the despaired fear, but can only built on the, be built on the solid rock of Christ. Speak up speak up lastly selfish in our time talent and treasure we build worlds of self-containment i do it you do it we've all been guilty of it that seek to shine forth our own glory and worship our own household idols and we all have them we have to constantly rid ourselves of them and in our effort to participate in the world we'll oftentimes allow that thing that we're pursuing become the guiding star rather than jesus whether it's sports or income or whatever vocation, recreations. Setting aside, it's just what God has called us to avoid. Give generously, use your time, use your talent for the kingdom of God. So as we wrap up this, this series that we've been doing, I've just really enjoyed it. It's been so helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for you. Here's a couple of my hopes and I'm done. I would hope after we've walked through this the last few weeks, that each of us would have a deeper appreciation for the redeeming grace of God that has called us out of darkness into his glorious light. I hope that's like running through your veins right now. Second, I hope in our effort to participate in the world that we don't allow, I'm sorry, I just jumped up there. My second hope is that we would have a deeper conviction That our weekly rhythms as the church are not arbitrary. What you do here means something. But very much part of God's plan to display His grace and help people experience His grace. You play a role in that. Don't forget that. And last, I'd hope that we'd be more emboldened, as we've talked about this morning, to be a people who display and declare the kingdom of God through gospel witness. Make the invisible kingdom visible. Make the invisible kingdom visible. Father, as we finish up this morning, thank you for this. Thank you for your truths as we have broken apart, broken down what the church is and then we've rebuilt it so we can see how it works from the inside out. Father, be glorified this morning as we um, think about how we would more boldly participate in the mission that you've called us to. Prepare our hearts now as we take this communion, and remember that way. As we we take a part in this communion, we do so as one body, working together to make Jesus famous. We love you. It's in Christ's name, Amen.